This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Thank you, Roger, and good morning to you. Good morning, world, as we come your way with our weekly get-together here on Saturday morning on the Saturday Morning Show and winding down the growing season, heading toward harvest, but uh, will harvest beat the frost? Well, our TV meteorologist Greg Solier says he doesn't see frost until about the end of October. So if that happens, we should be able to get the crops to mature in time to harvest and uh, hope that we don't have any more hurricanes to deal with in the uh, eastern area off the Atlantic or in the Gulf area because uh, that could change things. They were harvesting crops in North Carolina this week before the uh, hurricane moved uh, into North Carolina. And a lot of people are surprised to learn that North Carolina is the largest, uh, second largest pig producing state in the nation. Iowa, of course, far and away the number one hog state in the nation, but North Carolina is number two. And so they were trying to get crops harvested and out of the field before the hurricane did a little bit of it, but I'm not sure how successful they were in getting that done. So, a lot to talk about. Sandwich Fair has spent the day there Thursday, had a great time, and I uh, hope you're going to be able to get there before the fair closes tomorrow evening. So, uh, let's get going, because Jim Fazell is standing by to talk about things for you to do as we wind down the growing season in the garden. And we'll get to Jim and his discussion this morning when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Jim Fazell joins us here on the Saturday Morning Show. And now that we're approaching fall, just a few days away, I would guess there's still a lot of work to do in the garden, Jim. Boy, is there ever. You know, after Labor Day, and it seems like it's long gone, although it was just last week, uh, paces of of things begin to quicken. You know, the season is dwindling, but uh, kids are back in school, activities are returning to normal, but still, we have some of the nicest weather of of the year in the fall. Uh, But there is lots to do. It's time to get the garden in shape for the rest of the season. We may have as much as two months of season left. If we're real lucky, it it might go to the end of October. And frost is average frost is about six weeks away, and might even be longer this year. Our good friend Greg Solier, our weather guru, says that uh, we may have an extended fall. I hope he's right. But the days are getting shorter, and we can't stop the ineb- inevitable. So in the vegetable garden, we need to keep picking things as they ripen. The gardens are, are generally late, but there's a lot of stuff up there. Don't let it get away. Kick, pick it as it ripens. We've had some complaints about tomatoes uh, that not they won't turn red. That has a lot to do with the weather. It's been too cool with a few warm um, periods, and then it gets cool again. Uh, we need degree days, warmth, to keep them turning red. Another thing that's happened to tomatoes, a lot of people are picking, picking them and find that they're cracked. 
Well, that has to do with water. If you did not water your tomato plants when we had the dry weather earlier this season, then the wet weather occurred or you decided you need to put some water on, this causes those fruit to expand. They expand, but sometimes the skin is hardened off and it won't expand with the rest of the fruit, so it cracks. When you see that happen, if you see a tomato that's pretty well ripened or pink ripe where it's cracked that way, pick it off, get it inside, use it before the crack develops some kind of a disease. So these are usable as long as you get them early enough. Tomatoes that have a bite taken out of the side, this is from either squirrels or birds or yellow jackets, but we don't see a lot of yellow jackets this year. Uh, There again, pick them when they're ripe, bring them indoors, and ripen them inside where you can protect them. That's one way to get around this problem with the animals attacking them because uh, they seem to be able to anticipate the exact day that that thing is going to be perfectly ripe so that you pick it. They're going to get it the night before. So you get it before they do. Uh, Vines dying back. That's a problem as well this year because we did have some wet weather early, then we've had uh, some dry weather and more wet weather. Uh, There are several diseases, a couple of foliar diseases, septoria leaf spot, early blight, late blight. These are things that you can't do anything about at this time of year. Actually, the best thing to do is make sure when you buy varieties next year that you get varieties that are resistant to septoria leaf spot, bacterial leaf spot, and the blights and so forth. If you have a plant that's dying that way, you can pick off all the all the fruit. Uh, the nearly ripe fruit, bring it indoors, put it in a warm place, and it will ripen very nicely. If you have quite a bit of green fruit there, you can make green fried tomatoes, and I like those things, but most people will, will try to get them to ripen. You do this by wrapping them in newspaper and setting them in a cool place indoors, and they'll be, begin to ripen over a period of several weeks. Check regularly, and when they begin to get pink ripe, bring them in to a warm place. They will ripen for you, and they'll be usable just as good as can be. Uh, summer squash, um, they're still pr- producing very nicely. And if any of you have zucchini, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, they're late this year, but there's a lot of it. You need, need to keep picking it when it's the right size. Don't let them get into baseball bats unless you like the stuffed ones. And the winter squash, too. Acorn and butternut can be picked before they're fully hardened. Pumpkins and some of the bigger winter squash need to be hard enough off enough that your thumbnail won't break the skin if you try to scratch it. When they're that hard, you can pick them. They will store very nicely that way. In fact, some of these will store through most of the winter, and you can use them through the entire period. Uh, Some of the root crops, uh, things like carrots, pull them as you need them, but they can be stored in the ground. Parsnips are the same way. You don't need to pull those uh, until they're the size that you want or that you need them uh, because either of these, the carrots or the parsnips, will get sweeter and sweeter as the weather gets colder. Of course, you want to get them out before the ground freezes up, but they can last a long time, and if you mulch over the tops of them um, as the weather gets pretty bad, they can be harvested a good into a good part of the winter. Beets need to be pulled when they get to the right size. Don't store them in the ground. If you let them go until they're too big, they're going to be woody. Garlic, we don't dig that right now. We plant it right now. Interesting. Most people think the planting season is over with, Here's one kind of plant that you do need to put in your vegetable garden at this time of year. Uh, plant garlic now so that it will make leaves this fall. The leaves will overwinter, and in the spring it will make a lot of leaves. The size of the bulbs that you get next year or next summer are going to depend on how big that plant is. The sooner you get a plant started, the bigger it's going to be. The cold crops like broccoli, cauliflower, and so forth, uh, pick them as you need them. Uh, they'll tolerate a freeze. 
So they might last till December. You don't need to be in a hurry to get them out just because we have cold weather. Any of the greens like lettuce and mustard and so forth, uh, harvest them as you need them by cutting the leaves off. Don't pull the plants up until the season is over with because these plants will continue to regrow leaves. So you're going to have a continual supply. Uh, Flowers, too. Things need to be done in the flower garden. Annuals. Uh, one of the things you can do with annuals right now, if you have some pretty nice ones, pick some. Bring them indoors for decorations. Um, the ones that you need to, I guess, repair them in the yard so that they tolerate the rest of the season, cut them back. Trim them back for one more flush of growth. Things like marigolds are still growing very nicely, and they're going to continue to make more flowers. Where the plants are worn out, replace them with hardy mums. Uh, some of the things that you can get in the garden, garden centers right now, hardy mums are beautiful. They'll last until they freeze up. Lots of nice colors. Uh, roses, need, you need to assemble the stuff that you're going to need for winter protection for the hybrid tea types. The, um, the bush types and so forth don't need protection, so you don't need to worry about them. Uh, one of the things you need to do in preparing for hybrid teas, if you've been growing your vegetable garden in beds and you have one that is vacated, uh, dig that bed out. Store the topsoil, cover it with a uh, tarp so that you can cover up your rose bushes before they freeze up this, this winter. Uh, keep your plants growing. If you have disease or insect problems, be sure that you take care of those now because you want as many leaves on to stay on as long as possible so that these plants have a lot of strength to survive the wintertime. Perennials, when they're done, cut off the tops, but save the things like echinacea for the birds because you're going to find that they'll be looking for the little seeds that come off of these things pretty quick, quickly. And if you like to have uh, some of these little tiny birds uh, in your yard for the fall, that will attract them. Uh, there are lots of other things to do in your lawn. Keep it mowed. Uh, fertilize it if you have not done so. Uh, if you've had sod webworm problems, you need to take care of that. Seven insecticide will work very nicely. And uh, the last thing I want to mention, it's uh, we may have an early frost, but we we may not. So you need to get ready for it. Put, a, put aside some of the things that you're going to need to protect your garden because we may have a very early frost after which we'll have Indian, Indian summer and a lot of stuff will be con, will continue growing then. So if you can cover it up and keep it protect, protected for one night or so, you'll have a, a garden continuing uh, until things really freeze up. Anyway, lots of stuff going on right now. Next week I think we'll talk about composting because we need to know what to do with all that stuff we're pulling out of the gardens right now. And uh, I always like your suggestion to visit the botanic gardens and the arboretum and all that. I've talked to several people in the past week who have done just that, and they're fascinated by what they see because they've never been there before. Well, that's, you know, we're so fortunate here that we have two wonderful botanic gardens, the Botanic Garden, the Morton Arboretum. Uh, They have demonstration gardens. There are other demonstration gardens like at Cantini or down at Urbana at the University of Illinois. Uh, And the other thing that that people don't realize is we have some native prairie here down near Joliet, the old armory down there, Um, Medewin National Prairie and state parks and so forth. It's a wonderful time to enjoy the outdoors, so we need to do it. There's just lots of stuff to do. Indeed we do. Well, as always, we look forward to your visit. We'll talk to you next week. That's Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's 21 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Saturday morning, and hope you're having a good start to your day wherever you are with the technology that we were discussing at the top of the show with... uh, 
uh, Matt and uh, Roger, we, of course, can be heard anywhere in the world now that we have the technology. And I do continue to get an occasional email from a grower in Brazil and uh, from people in Asia who are able to hear us thanks to the technology. So thank you for joining us. Do want to talk a little bit more about uh, the last county fair of the season here in northern Illinois, Sandwich Fair at Sandwich, Illinois, a nice drive in the country from downtown Chicago, about oh, 60 or 65 miles, and the fair goes through tomorrow night. But uh, I've been going to the fair and doing a noon program from there for the past 57 years. They were kind enough to give me a very attractive wall plaque to signify those 57 years at the Sandwich Fair. And we'll keep on keeping on as long as we can. Always a pleasure to get together with the folks at Phase pork chop barbecue that's an institution at the fair oh and the other thing that is at the fair and has been it seems like forever is that full-size model train that people can ride in around the fairgrounds well you do it in a circle but uh, a lot of families a lot of kids that get on the train and it's still there and it's still going done by the family that put it together decades ago. But back to the pork chop barbecue, Bob Dempsey, who uh, is the uh, person who puts it all together, but he has a lot of help. Members of the Faye family, the Wilder Faye family, of course, and uh, pork chops and chicken are just as good as ever. Not saying that there aren't other great food places on the Sandwich Fairgrounds, because indeed there are, but the Faye's Pork Chop Barbecue is kind of the uh, one that's been there the longest and has a lot of tradition. And new on the fairgrounds this year, and I was impressed by it, the new FFA barn. That's the uh, building that they constructed to house the petting zoo and to give you an opportunity to take kids in and uh, see what farm animals look like. They may not see them every day, you know, if you're in the town or the suburb or the city. But uh, now you can do it a little more comfortably at the Sandwich Fair. And uh, during the noon hour get-together with a packed audience, and thank you all for joining us uh, for the event, the back page, our band was there, of course, and uh, Max was there the day before I was and uh, had a good time. But I'll tell you, for a picture-perfect day at a county fair, it didn't get any better than last Thursday. Absolutely beautiful. Fluffy clouds in a clear blue sky. Temperatures in the 70s, very comfortable and uh, just a great day. I had the opportunity to uh, bring on stage several FFA members to talk about what they were doing at the fair, to talk about what they're doing with their career. And uh, good morning to Alicia Hendren, to Bella Marmo, to Jessica Dunteman, to Mackenzie Nyer, and to Adam Seville, FFA members who joined me on stage to talk about their activity in 
preparing for a career, some of them in agriculture, some of them not in agriculture. But uh, you have till tomorrow evening, they have some tractor pulls going on. And of course, it wouldn't be a county fair without the demolition derby to ring down the curtain. And that'll happen tomorrow night at the Sandwich Fair. That's where people, well, we used to do it with just old cars, but now they do it with combines and other farm equipment. But Demolition Derby, part of county fairs across the country. And as far as I'm concerned, one more county fair that uh, has uh, history with me, the Vernon County Fair in Viroqua, Wisconsin. That's the last county fair of the season in Wisconsin, and it'll be coming up next week. Oh, and I will be going to another county fair this week as well, a big county fair in Spencer, Iowa. We'll be flying Air Orient out there on Thursday, and uh, I've been there several times. It is a great county fair, Clay County Fair at Spencer, Iowa. We look forward to being at that. Meanwhile, getting back to uh, some of the agricultural discussions we have going on, Agricultural trade groups uh, yesterday told the Trump administration a proposed biofuel reform package falls short of expectations. Four sources familiar with discussions passed that on, complicating plans the administration had for presenting the proposal to President Trump. President expected to meet with EPA administrator and USDA officials to discuss the proposal meant to uh, soothe farmers who are angry about biofuel blending exemptions given to oil refineries. Trump has found himself in a political bind as he looks to appease two of his most important and prized constituency, big oil and big corn. The proposed plan would include an increase to biofuels requirements for 2020 of uh, 1 billion gallons, according to sources familiar with the meetings this week. But the plan already faced backlash during the conference call the USDA held early yesterday with biofuels advocates to detail plans. The agricultural industry wants the administration to force larger refineries to make up for the exempted gallons through a process called reallocation, but it has not committed to that yet, according to sources. And uh, one spokesman representing the biofuels industry said, plants are closing now. Farmers are going bankrupt now. And uh, the industry is, uh, they made it clear that restoring the exempted gallons by 2020 is the only way to stop the bleeding. And the spokesman said anything short of that is going to face united opposition, which means the president won't want to show his face in Iowa. The president promised to deliver, quote, a giant package to U.S. farmers related to ethanol in response to the anger from U.S. farmers and biofuels advocates over 31 exemptions regulators have given to oil refineries to free them of requirements to blend biofuels. 
and biofuel advocates, including Republican Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst of Iowa, weighed in on the issue on Twitter yesterday. Uh, Senator Ernst said, you know this, EPA and USDA, the only good deal for Iowa farmers is one that upholds the intent of the RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standards. That requires refineries to blend increasing volumes of biofuels into their fuel each year. Small facilities under financial strain, however, in the oil industry can be exempted. And President Trump authorized the EPA to grant 31 waivers to small refineries in August. That's far more than the Obama administration had typically granted. And so uh, we're going to watch that one to see what the giant package is finally going to be. And uh, we may find out this week. It's good to have you with us, Roger, and good to have all of you with us here on WGN Radio Chicago. We're going to get to that uh, market discussion with Bryce Knorr of Farm Futures Magazine in just a few minutes here on the Saturday Morning Show. But right now, time for Samuelson Says. And of course, this is Orion Samuelson. And again, this week, another update on my congressional scorecard. 25 minutes before 6 o'clock here on WGN Radio Chicago and on Samuelson Says, time for another update on my congressional scorecard. You, you may recall earlier this year I established my scorecard to see what Congress is doing or not doing with meaningful legislation. We know they are doing a lot of investigating, but I continue to see very little legislating. Well, the scorecard says very little has happened in Congress. Of course, we have just completed the annual six-week summer recess, or I call it vacation. So I guess we shouldn't have expected too much from Capitol Hill. There are some very important issues, though, that affect agriculture that need attention quickly. First of all, we need congressional approval of the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement so we can move forward with a very important trade issue that has already been approved by the governments in Mexico and Canada, but no, not in Congress on Capitol Hill. We must get that done so we can move forward with what I call NAFTA II. Then there is the legislation dealing with border security and immigration that will make it easier for migrant workers to cross the border and at the same time hopefully keep illegal aliens out. Nothing has happened there. A lot of talk, no action on Capitol Hill. And during the discussions, I've heard many people say we are a nation of immigrants. And indeed we are. But the immigrants of 50 to 100 years ago, for the most part, followed the rules. My grandparents came from Norway. They passed through Ellis Island with all of the proper papers. 
And then when they moved to western Wisconsin, they became part of the community. They learned the language, and they settled in communities where they became actively involved in work and education. We indeed need legislation setting up better rules from Congress. But then let me say a couple of events have happened in which Congress was not involved. We did get an agreement with the European Union that would lead to U.S. beef and other agricultural products moving into that market. And we did get an agreement with Japan. That's the country that over the decades since World War II has been a traditional big buyer of U.S. farm products. And the agreement uh, about to be signed later this month in New York at the U.N. uh, made corn growers and pork producers especially happy with that. But back to immigration laws. I think it's time for the immigrants of today to go through the legal steps to become citizens of the United States, as did our ancestors. We can then move forward together to do what's needed to keep this country strong and prosperous. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. At 21 minutes before 6 o'clock, and uh, coming up, Max Armstrong sits down to visit with Bryce Knorr, Farm Futures Magazine, when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. From time to time, he comes in to join us, Bryce Knorr, Senior Grain Market Analyst for Farm Futures. You're in the home stretch of your career with Farm Futures, we understand, preparing for retirement. Well, going to be stepping down a little bit, probably uh, maintain some sort of role with uh, FarmFutures.com and the magazine and Farm Progress, but not going to be getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning anymore, <laughs> which I'm really looking forward to. Well, we're looking forward to the fact you'll maintain some role there. We've enjoyed reading over the years what you write. This has been an interesting summer, by all means, and we've been shell-shocked by two reports in a row here from USDA as we go into another one on Tuesday. What are you hearing from growers? And what are the expectations as far as the market is concerned ahead of the September crop report? Well, I think the reports I'm getting from growers now are starting to become a little bit more positive towards yields. Their yield estimates starting to come up a little bit. That's not unusual. Most people start conservative because they want to uh, plan for a lower cash flow. And if they're surprised, it's a happy surprise. Uh, I expect uh, USDA will probably uh, hold its yield estimates steady or even increase them slightly uh, because we've seen the crop ratings uh, basically steady to higher. Also, the vegetation health index maps are uh, showing a pretty good improvement and even potential for perhaps normal crops in terms of the yields. Now, the question is, of course, what's the acreage going to be? And if the acres go down, even normal yields could mean a smaller crop. We aren't going to really get a clue on acreage, I don't think, uh, probably till uh, October at the earliest. And uh, even the yields off the combines, uh, we won't get that, uh, that data till October or more likely November. But this report that's coming out on the 12th, We'll have uh, results from USDA's enumerators, which are headed out to the field for the first time to take actual samples of crops. So they've been out there over the past couple of weeks, and that is, has not happened this season to this point. So we'll, we'll have actual 
crop reporter numbers from out there in the field. Right. Where is the USDA currently on yield numbers for corn and soybeans? Well, they're 48 and a half bushels per acre for soybeans, 169 and a half for corn. And uh, the, the, the corn number looks pretty solid. Uh, the soybean number could actually come up a little bit. Uh, most of the other ways we have of looking at yields, based on the objective evidence indicating uh, maybe up to 49 and a half, even 50 bushels per acre. Uh, but again, a lot is just going to depend on what actually gets harvested, what makes it in time. If what makes it in time, if we get a full season, that's the thing that strikes you as you go by many of the soybean fields. You look out there and you think, yeah, it's a pretty good looking crop for late July or, or early August. But wow, you know, the, the clock is ticking here. And we're reminded of it every night when we realize that the, the day is getting shorter. So we're concerned about that. Now, now some of the corn yield numbers that I have seen by private analysts are significantly below the USDA's number. I've seen some down around 162, right? Well, yes, and there are others that are actually uh, at USDA or higher. Everybody's kind of messing around with their acreage estimates. Uh, I think harvested corn acres could be down by 3.7 million from what USDA uh, said in August. Uh, simply due to the uh, high uh, prevent plant acres. Typically, if, if people can't plant, uh, that means that the, the crop's going in late and more of it's going to be harvested for silage. So I'm dial- I've am i dialed it back to a crop of maybe uh, 3.1, 3.2 billion, uh, 600 to 700 million below USDA. Are people positioned or positioning uh, for a bearish report again? I mean, we've, we've had two in a row here now. Does that change the mindset a bit, Bryce? Well, the funds are definitely short. Uh, they're short corn, and they've been pressing their, their short position fairly aggressively here over the past three weeks. So if we were to get a bullish surprise, uh, that could uh, lead to some short covering. Now, what we may see is uh, if, if we do get a, a somewhat bearish report, uh, we could see futures go down, make a spike low, and then maybe uh, start to heal a little bit as we face the uncertainty as to what's going to come off the combine. The other thing that we have to uh, probably take into account is that USDA will raise its estimate of how much corn was left over from the 2018 crop on September 1st due to lower usage for ethanol and uh, lower exports. So that could add a uh, hundred million bushels or more uh, to that carryout number, which will help us get through uh, until we get uh, the new crop corn this fall. People may be wondering about storm damage from Hurricane Dorian, but in fact, that's a limited geography. And I believe North Carolina, while it is not a major corn producer, is maybe in the top 20 soybean states. But again, that's in a fairly limited area there. So uh, that should not be a factor, correct, about the storm right in Georgia and the Carolinas? And we're, we're, we're damaging a crop that's already been shrunk by the uh, bad drought they've had exactly. out there. So uh, I think the, the potential was low to begin with. Now, that could be favorable for basis here, in the uh, particularly in the eastern Corn Belt. But even as we move to western Illinois, Iowa, uh, we're going to be sucking corn early, earlier than normal uh, to feed all those hogs and chickens down in the southeast because local supplies are going to be quite small. 
so it'll pay to watch the bases, as it often does. You have to keep an eye on the bases around you and uh, around even in a larger geography at times. Right, and we also have to remember that the Illinois River is going to be closing, so a lot of folks who normally store their corn, sell to the river, aren't going to be able to do that this year, so they have to start thinking about alternative markets. Uh, so those rail, rail bids uh, could be more important to them this year. What's the timetable for the closing on the Illinois? I believe they're starting in March but uh, and uh, going through most of the summer. Uh, but, uh, again, my older I get, my, my <laughs> I have trouble remembering the, some of those specifics. That is planned maintenance that would be coming next year. Even at, Well, even if there is a weather closure earlier, it will be an extended closure. Right, and say. they've had trouble there. Uh, down through uh, Starved Rock, uh, they've had uh, uh, closings uh, on a regular basis. They're operating uh, at a fairly limited flow already. Uh, so this will just this will kind of conceal the deal and we'll hopefully uh, get get all those locks repaired and the necessary maintenance done. It's a reminder, as I saw a photograph the other day and I retweeted, actually it was a video clip from Brazil showing a magnificent new rail bridge that was being built across some water down there of how they are improving their infrastructure while we need to ratchet up our improvements of uh, the infrastructure of how we get grain to market. Right. And of course, you know, at some point we're going to have to have to fix everything on the Mississippi River as well. The Ohio River has also had a lot of problems this year. Uh, even had we not had all the flooding, there would have been delays. Fertilizer prices. You watch those closely. You pay a lot of attention to those. And fuel, cost, what are you seeing there, Bryce? Well, right now is a pretty good time to be buying ammonia, assuming you're going to be applying this fall if you can get your crops off in time. Uh, The uh, uh, bids, if you're buying it on the spot market, if you have storage, uh, you'd probably be paying 430 or less uh, here in Illinois. Uh, if you're going to be prepaying it for a later application in the fall, you can probably add 50, 60 bucks to that price. Also seeing prices for DAP and phosphate come down. A lot of folks didn't get that on this year. Uh, so uh, they're going to be need to be putting that down either this fall or next spring. Propane, uh, there will be a significant amount of drying of this crop, one would assume. Uh, much more than usual, you would think. Yeah, fortunately, propane is trading about as cheap as it gets right now. Uh, so if you haven't filled up your tanks either for uh, fall drying fuel or just to uh, heat the homestead, definitely time to do that. One other quick question. Interest rates. We're hearing talk the Fed may once more lower interest rates. What does right. that do to this whole scene? Well, uh, it looks like uh, there will probably be a quarter of, uh, of 1% cut uh, later this month uh, when the uh, Fed uh, meets. Uh, that's uh, good for people who own land because lower interest rates uh, help uh, support the value of farmland because it becomes a much more attractive investment than just sticking your your uh, money in treasuries. And it's the biggest asset most farmers have, is it not? Right. So that's good news. If you're looking to buy land, if you're still in the expansion mode, uh, that means you're going to have to uh, pay probably pay a little, little more f- for it, assuming the cash rents hold up. We appreciate the visit always, sir, and we look forward to uh, hopefully continuing to talk to you from time to time as you slide into another mode. Thanks a lot for being here. Bryce Knorr, Senior Market Analyst with Farm Futures. Max and Bryce, of course, discussed the yield per acre and the total production numbers, and it's that time when we have a lot of analytical firms coming up with their 
uh, thinking on how big the crop will be and what kind of a yield per acre. Yesterday, Informa came out with these numbers. Informa said the yield per acre for corn will be 169.6 bushels per acre. Total crop will be 13,906,000,000 bushels. And the Informa report said soybean yield per acre will come in at 48.4 bushels per acre and the total crop of 3,671,000,000 bushels. So uh, we keep getting those numbers and we will get the September crop report coming out uh, this week. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what USDA has to say about that. A little bit more on the uh, hurricane situation in North Carolina. A report uh, this morning that Hurricane Dorian made landfall over Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, yesterday morning as a Category 1. And the storm was skirting along North Carolina's coast. And according to the North Carolina Port Council, there are no reports of significant impacts to the more than 2,000 hog farms in the state. As one spokesman said, surveying by the North Carolina Port Council indicates that some scattered farm-level power outages occurred. On-farm generators, though, are operating with ample fuel supply. Wind damage has been minimal. Livestock and feed movements are beginning to occur in multiple locations, according to the Port Council. Farm anaerobic treatment lagoons, which are used for men uh, for manure management in protection of the environment, have been well managed throughout the summer growing season, and rainfall amounts from the hurricane have not negatively impacted the treatment lagoons. That, according to the North Carolina Pork Council. One other pork note, too, the uh, National Pork Producers Council this week will be hosting, or next week, will be hosting its Fall Legislative Action Conference in Washington, D.C. That will happen September 11 and 12. The biannual fly-in attracts more than 120 pork producers from around the country to meet with members of Congress to discuss various issues in At the top of the list will be the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement that we're, as I mentioned earlier, still waiting for Congress to do something. Labeled them the do-nothing Congress, and uh, that's probably unfair, but uh, it's been very disappointing, the lack of uh, activity that we've seen. Received this week uh, an email that I want to share with you because... I really like it with the county fair season winding down. An important part of a lot of county fairs is the auction of some of the champion livestock that gives companies and businesses in the various counties the opportunity to support young 4-H and FFA members. And I got an email from the Basin Fertilizer and Chemical Company in Lake County, Illinois. Let me share it with you. In honor of fair season, one of our favorite seasons of all, we have to share the best thank you card ever 
from one of the Lake County Fair livestock exhibitors that we purchased from this year. We were proud to purchase Winston and loved his exhibitors' clever ideas of putting him to use. Basin Fertilizer and Chemical, a proud supporter of our local 4-H clubs and FFA chapters, we always look forward to auction time, which allows us to help support the future of these young, hard-working, funny kids. And here is the hand-printed note that came from one of the exhibitors. Dear Basin Fertilizer, thank you for buying my steer, Winston. He is a good boy. Take good care of him. And unless you decide to make him into food, then make him into the best sloppy joes anyone has ever had. If not... I hope his byproducts, there's another word that he used, but (laughs) I hope his byproducts will be useful in the making of your fertilizer. Signed by the Lake County, Illinois exhibitor. Clever and a great note. The, uh, as I said, Clay County Fair next week, Spencer, Iowa, Sandwich County Fair, Sandwich, Illinois, winding down tomorrow night. We ended the week in the marketplace with not a very good day on Friday. As a matter of fact, we saw front month wide cattle futures falling to their daily limit yesterday, down to the lowest level since 2016. Cash cattle traded at $100 per week this, uh, per hundredweight this week in Texas and Kansas, and that's down from $103 last week. But let's look at those numbers because we had some limit down moves yesterday at the Merck. The December lean hog contract along with February both down the $3 per hundredweight limit. That put the December hog contract at $62.47. October cattle down $2.87. And October feeder cattle down $1.35. And in the grain trade yesterday, the December wheat contract down three and three quarter cents a bushel. The December corn contract down three and a quarter cents a bushel. November soybeans down four cents a bushel. As again, those early USDA yield per acre numbers are getting closer to becoming reality as we get these updates. And then next week, as I said, the September crop report will give us some new numbers that people will be watching. Will they trust them? I don't know. Well, thank you for joining us. Our thanks always to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work on the broadcast. But thanks to you for listening, for joining Max Armstrong and me every Saturday morning here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.